Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, The Supper Table. Turn with me to Revelation chapter um, 12. We're going to read our scripture reading, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, which is page 1015. I'm going to be using the New, Inter- um, the New Living Translation Bible, and for those of you who have a Bible like this, I'll be giving you the page number so that we can find the verses quickly. We're going to be doing a lot of looking up today. So, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. This gives us a picture of who the people are that are part of God's church before he comes back. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17 says, And the dragon was angry with the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. Now let's stop there. Let's, for those of you who haven't been coming, let's just do a little bit of explana- explaining here. First of all, who is the dragon? Those of you who have been coming, who's the dragon? The devil. Satan is the dragon, the devil. We've learned that early in Revelation. Who is the woman? Okay, there's two women in Revelation. There's a prostitute woman, and then there's a pure holy woman. Both of them represent churches. So right now, a dragon is going after a woman. He's going after God's true church. So Satan is attacking God's true church and attacking all of her children. So everything that comes out of God's true church. And so then he gives a description of what God's true church looks like. The end of verse 17 says, Um, He declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commands and who maintain their testimony for Jesus. This is the description that we're given of the church that is God's church just before he comes back again. So what does that mean? To keep God's commands and to have a testimony of Jesus. Jesus knew his time was coming to an end. Jesus knew, he knew all the prophecies about himself, he had, been, uh, he had been keeping track, and he knew the time for his crucifixion was just around the corner, and in fact, he knew he only had one more time that he got to spend with the disciples as a whole group. And so, Jesus, I don't, I don't really know what was in his head, but he must have been planning, he must have been thinking, if I was Jesus and I only had one more time that I was going to get to talk to everybody, I want that message, that message to be very, very important. So as Jesus is heading with the disciples, as they're walking to the upper room, and as they're going, um, Jesus is a little bit quiet. People have gone ahead, and they get to the upper room, and as we follow Jesus and his disciples into the upper room, the preparations have been made to have the Passover meal. Everything is there, the food, the drink, and then you hear the disciples whispering, didn't you get the servant? It wasn't my job to get the servant. Didn't you get the servant? No, it wasn't my job to get the servant. You were... And they're all kind of doing a commotion, and nobody got the servant to wash the feet. Now that was a big no-no. You couldn't have dinner with, with dirty feet. I mean, after all, you walked around in the streets where there are animals and open sewers and everything else. It was just disgusting. You couldn't, you couldn't eat with that filth around. And so this, this argument is going around the disciples. Well, why didn't you get somebody? Well, maybe you're going to have to do it. And all the while, the argument's happening. 
Ever so nonchalantly, Jesus takes off his outer garments, lays it over a chair, grabs the towel, ties it around his waist, picks up the bucket of water, and he goes over to one of the disciples' feet, kneels down, picks their foot up, washes their foot off in the water, picks the clean foot up, dries it on the towel that he has tied around his waist, and does it with the other foot. And the disciples who were bickering and arguing all of a sudden are dead quiet. What are you doing, Jesus? And nobody... Nobody has the nerve to talk until Jesus gets to Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 Jesus. You are my Lord and my master. There is no way in the world you're washing my feet. Jesus says, if you want a part of me, I have to wash your feet. So Peter Peter being compulsive and just the, the bold person he is, he was like, well, then if I can't have a part of you, then give me a whole bath. Wash every part of me. I want to be part of you, Jesus. It's not really right that you're washing my feet, but just do the whole thing. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you've had a bath. I don't need to give you a full bath now. I just need to wash your feet. With that, Jesus washes Peter's feet. He finishes the rest of the disciples. He goes back, puts the water, the basin, and the towel down, gets dressed again, and he sits down at the dinner table. At the supper table, Jesus now has their attention. He has their attention, and he's glad he has their attention Because he's got some very important things he's got to tell them. This is the last time he's going to have the whole group together. And he needs to tell them some things. He needs to tell them what to do when he's gone. You see, he's only been with this group of fishermen for three and a half years. And fishermen weren't trained. They they weren't looked upon by society as people who would know what to do. But Jesus is passing the reins of his church over to this group of men, and he's got to communicate to them what to do. As they sit down, they're eating quietly, breaking the bread and doing stuff, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, okay, he just got done washing our feet, and now he's saying one of us is going to betray him. Jesus says, he's having an off night. I'm not really sure what's, what's up with Jesus. And nobody can talk. And so one of the disciples kind of whispers to John, who is one of Jesus' closest friends. John happened to be sitting next to Jesus, and they whisper, John, ask him what he's talking about. We have no idea. They're like, is it me? Am I, what do you mean going to betray you? We don't know what you're talking about. And so John says, um, hey, Jesus, what do you mean going to betray you? Who's going to betray you? And at that time, Jesus had a piece of bread in his hand, and he says, the person that I give this bread to, and as he's dipping it in, he hands the bread to Judas. And they're like, what? And Judas stands up, and Jesus says, go and do what you must do. And Judas leaves instantly, and the disciples are like, what is going on? Where's Judas going? Is he going to make more preparations? We we don't really know what's going on. And then Jesus says, um, I'm going to leave, and you can't come with me, but then I'll be back again. 
And there's a new command I'm giving you. Love each other the way that I've loved you. And the disciples are royally confused. What is Jesus talking about? Where are you going, Jesus? Uh, we, don't, we don't know where, what do you mean you're going to leave and we can't go with you? We wanna, why can't we go with you? And Peter pipes up and he says, Jesus, I'll go anywhere with you. I will even die for you. Jesus says, no, Peter. In fact, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to have denied me. Disciples are royally confused. And they're sitting there with a look of like just confusion and awe on their face. What is Jesus talking about? And then he says, but don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I, and if I go and prepare a house for you, I'll come back and I'll show you where that house is so that you can be with me. But don't, know, don't worry, you know the way to the house. Now the people are really confused, okay? Well, Jesus must have meant earlier when he's going away and then he's going to come back that he's going to go build us a house. He said he's going to build us a house. That's really cool because we can't afford to build our own house right now. But he just told us we knew how to get there. And, and then there's a commotion amongst the disciples. Do you know where Jesus is going? Do you know where this new house is going to be? No. And so Thomas, this time, has the guts to speak up. Hey, Jesus, um, we actually don't know how to get there. Could you tell us how to get there? And then Jesus, in an encrypted way, says, Well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you know me, you, you know the Father. And, there, and Thomas is a little even more confused. Well, yeah, you're the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to make us this house. That's cool. But we still don't know how to get there. And so he's like, well, maybe if we can figure out who your father is, because your father's dead. He, I mean, I, I don't know who you're talking about. So, and so he says, hey, Jesus, why don't you tell me who your father is, and then I can go ask him where the house is so that we can get there, because I don't know where it is. And Jesus is like, come on, you guys. Have I been with you so long If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father were one. What? And he says, if you love me, and they're all like, yeah, we love you, you'll keep my commandments. Okay? And when I go away, it's a good thing that I go away because I'm going to send the comforter, and he's going to come and comfort you, and he's going to show you, he's going to lead you into all truth. Okay, and I'm going to give you a peace that the world can't have. And the disciples are confused. This is Jesus' final dinner, the time that he has to talk with the disciples, to tell them what is most important for them to know about being the true church of God. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it told us that the true church of God is a church that keeps the commandments of Jesus. Well, turn with me to John chapter 13, um, John chapter 14, it's page 875. John chapter 14, page 875, if you're using the same Bible. That's John chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 33. John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus says, anything in red is Jesus talking. He says, Dear children, I will only be with you a little longer. As I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you 
can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our series is called The Disciple Dare. It tells us that the true church of God in Revelation is a church that keeps the commandments of God. And Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command. This new command is that you love each other the way that I have loved you. So is Jesus getting rid of the Ten Commandments? Do we not have to listen to those anymore? Is that what happens here? No. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, page 801, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus was um, being attacked and tricked by different religious leaders and teachers. They were trying to find a way that they could get Jesus, and so they kept asking him different questions. Well, one of the teachers decided to come ask Jesus this question. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And they're like, yeah, so if Jesus picks, you know, you should not kill, then we're going to say, but what about love the Lord your God? But if he says, you should love the Lord your God, then we're going to say, well, what about, you know, not killing? You know, you really can't pick one because God gave us ten, right? So they thought they had trapped Jesus. But Jesus' answer is very, very good. In verse 37, Jesus replies to the question of which is the greatest commandment. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commands. So Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 13, I'm giving you a new command. You should love each other as I have loved you. But when Jesus is asked earlier what's the greatest commandment, He doesn't pick one. He sums up the first four by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then he sums up the last six by saying, and love your neighbor as yourself. Is there a theme here with what Jesus is saying? What is the theme? Love. So Jesus really isn't giving the disciples a new command. In fact, he is just reiterating very, very old commands that God has given them. So why is Jesus saying, I'm giving you a new command? Love each other as I have loved you. Well, let's think about it. How did Jesus love us? What did he do? First of all, Jesus in his love, he saw all of us sinners down here and he looked down and he said, you stupid people. Well, if you want forgiveness, you better get up here, and I'll give it to you. Right? Get up here to heaven. If you can get here, I'll, I'll, we'll talk. Is that what God did? No. The first thing God did was he came down here. He knew we couldn't get to heaven by ourselves, and he knew that we needed help because we had royally messed up. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death, and that all of us have sinned, so we all deserve death. And so instead of doing, oh, I can't believe you idiots, what did you do? God comes down here, and he's born as a person. He's born as a human. And he's not born into the richest of riches houses. He's not born with all the um, extravagance and luxuries that we would hope to have in life. He's born in a manger to a poor family. 
Jesus came and met us where we're at. So if he's telling us to love each other as he loved us, he's expecting us to go and meet people where they're at so we can connect with them. In fact, he tells us in Matthew 28, what is the Great Commission? Can you tell it with me? Matthew 28. It says, let's look it up for those of you who don't know. Matthew 28, page 808. We're going to read verse 18 through 20. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 28. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands that I have given you, and be sure that I'm with you too, always, even to the end of the age. Jesus didn't say, I want you to be disciples, and I want you to be really, really good at it, and I want you to stay put and wait for people to come to you. Jesus said, if the new command I give you is love each other as I have loved you. Jesus came here, met us where we were at, and he tells the disciples, you've got to go. So the church that follows God's commandments in the end time is a church that's moving. It's a church that is passionate about people who don't know God yet. And they are out there, they are making friends, they are being people who people will trust, like Jesus was, so that they can share the good news that Jesus died for our sins and we don't have to pay the price of our sins by ourselves. Jesus came to the earth And not only that, when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't seclude himself on the top of Mount Everest and say, well, I'm here, they should come find me. He went to where the people were at. He was always in the middle of the marketplace or there was always crowds around him. Some of us feel that we can be Christians all by ourselves. You know, we can be what God wants us to be alone. But that's not the advice that is given to us in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, page 985. Hebrews chapter 10, page 985. Hebrews chapter 10, page 985. We're going to read verse 24. Hebrews 10, page 985, verse 24 says... Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Can you motivate someone to acts of love and good works if you're not with them? Well, there might be a few ways you could do it, but they're not nearly as effective as if you're there with them, being the motivator. Come on, you can do it. I have one of my friends as a workout partner, and I work out much better when she's there telling me that I can do it than when I'm doing it by myself, going, oh, you know, this really isn't, I I don't really need to do 12 reps. I just, three's fine. She motivates me. She keeps me on ball. So, verse 25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some of you do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Jesus, the way he loved us, the way he's asking us to love others, 
is we've got to be with other people. We have to be with other believers so that sometimes we can get encouraged and sometimes we can encourage them. That's part of the beauty of having a church that we can come to and worship as a family of believers because we can be here for each other. We can share each other's hurts and we can strengthen them in hard times. So Jesus not only went out and he was where the people who were lost were, But he was also with the disciples. He was also with the people. He met with them. He went to the synagogue regularly. He knew the importance of meeting together. A church that follows God's commands is a church that meets together as a family. What else did Jesus do? Jesus' life when he came here, it wasn't typical. He said, love others as I have loved you. And Jesus just got done doing the most disgusting thing that you can imagine at the Last Supper, washing disciples' feet. That was a job that even the slaves, it was just the lowest of the low slave that had to do that job because people's feet were filthy. They did not have shoes, closed-toed shoes, most of them. A lot of them were barefoot. They're walking around in dirt and there was animals and other stuff. Their feet were filthy. And so Jesus, being the God of the universe, the king of all kings, he comes and he walks into the room and what he could have done and they would have been completely understanding and he would have been justified was saying, all right, who's, okay, uh, all right, Thomas, you doubted. You're going to be the lowest today. You wash everybody's feet. He, he would have been, and nobody would have questioned it. It would have been completely normal. The master doesn't wash people's feet. But Jesus said, I want to teach you something. And the best way to teach it is to show you. Because I can talk to you as much as you want. But until I show you by my own actions, it's not going to mean anything to you. So Jesus lived a life of service. And he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. All of us feel entitled. We feel that because we've earned our positions at work or because we've gone to church this much or because we have this much money or drive this car or we're dating that person, we feel entitled to something. Most of us don't feel entitled to be service, to be servants. But that's what Jesus said when he said, a new command I give you, love each other as I've loved you. He was a servant. He came and he served. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, turn with me to page 820. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark 10, verse 45. Jesus says this about himself. Mark 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and the way he lived his life was not about what are you going to do for me? It was what can I do for you? In fact, Jesus' mission in life, it tells us in Luke chapter 19, or 19 verse 10, that Jesus' mission was to come and seek and save the lost. Jesus came to serve to the point of death and he died for us. He said, I care so much about you. I want to show you the Father so much that I'm going to do everything I can. And you know something? One of the fastest ways that we can connect with people is if we're doing something nice for them. 
when we're going above and beyond stuff that we're not expected to do, we win people's gratitude. And when you win their gratitude, you win the opportunity to be their friend and to connect with them. And you have an opportunity to share why it is you're willing to do that. There's a story told of a drunk who is going to a shelter. And um, in order to eat food at the shelter, you had to sit through the service. There was a religious service, and John happened to be the speaker at the service one night, and so he was spoke, and there's this drunk there, and he was sitting there, and he just was very drunk, not happy about being there, and being obstinate, and all sorts of other stuff. Well, then later on that night, as he, because he'd earned a bed also in the shelter, because he went to the service, He threw up all over himself and all over his bed and all over everything. And here comes John. And John cleans him up and cleans his bed and helps clean him up and puts him back to bed and tucks him in. Well, this becomes almost a nightly ritual. For months on end, the drunk comes in, has to sit through the service, and then he throws up all over himself and makes a mess. And John comes back and cleans him up. And one time when he's sitting through the service that he's required to sit through, he all of a sudden hears a connection. They're talking about a Jesus that can come and save. And a call is made at the end of this particular talk. Do you want to accept the salvation that Jesus has to offer? And this drunk stands up. Something has clicked in his head. And he staggers down the aisle. And he says, I want to be like John. I want John to save me. And they're like, no, I'm I'm sorry, you're mistaken. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves you. John's like, I have no idea who this Jesus person is. That person you were just describing is John. He's the one who takes care of me, and I want to be like that. We have an opportunity to reflect Jesus to the people in our worlds. And it's when we care for them, when they don't deserve it, when we reach out like Jesus did. You know, Jesus came and he died for us while we were still sinners, while we hated him. That's when Jesus came and died for us. That's when he loved us. That's what it means to love each other as Jesus loved us. It tells us that Jesus came and he ultimately died for us. He died so that we could have a place. So as the, as the disciples are sitting there listening to Jesus, what Jesus is trying to tell them is you're so used to just following the Ten Commandments. You should not kill. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't, you've forgotten what they mean. They're about God's love. And they're about what God is doing in your life. And so to be an end-time people, an end-time people that is following God's commands, we have got to love like Jesus loved. Jesus is sitting there, and he tells him a story. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And we know that Jesus was talking about heaven, that after Jesus died, Jesus is going to go to heaven, and he's going to build each one of us a home. He's going to make us a beautiful home. And he wants us to live there, and he's tailoring it to our desires and our needs. But the disciples are confused. They're like, what are you talking about? In John chapter 14, turn with me to John chapter 14, page 875. John chapter 14, in verse 4, it says, Jesus tells them, John chapter 14, verse 4, and you know the way to where I'm going, followed by, 
No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? The disciples are confused. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus answers them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is telling us a little bit more about how to be a commandment-keeping people and how to have a testimony of Jesus. We have got to come to, Jesus, come to God through Jesus. It tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, page 970. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Page 970, verse 5, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says, There is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. The disciples are confused when he says, you know the way. They didn't realize they knew the way. They didn't realize that their love for Jesus and wanting to please him was going to be the way to get them to heaven. They couldn't earn it. They couldn't do anything. What does it look like when we found the way to heaven, when we found a relationship with Jesus? It looks like what Paul encountered in Galatians. Turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, page 950. When I read this, it was so amusing. And I I want this to happen to us in our community. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Galatians, it's 590. Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. All right. I I actually looked up the wrong one. It's Ephesians that I want you to look up. Wait. Where is it? I lost it. Anyways, it's in here somewhere. I don't know where it is. Um, The verse I'm looking for, it says that Paul is going out to the Gentiles, and he's going to preach the good news. And when he starts talking about Jesus, they say, yeah, we know about Jesus. So-and-so already told us. And then instead of Paul preaching, the Gentiles preach back to Paul. And they tell him how much God loved them. That's what it looks like to really know Jesus. And I'll find that verse for you a little bit later. But Jesus, really knowing him, means that when we talk to other people, it's infectious, so much so that they get it and they can repeat back to us. Then as the disciples are sitting there at dinner, Jesus tells them in John chapter 14, turn back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says something that I don't know how often we actually believe. Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth, Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you hear what that just said? When Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love each other as I have loved you, He then follows it up by saying, you can do the same works I've done. What are some of the things that Jesus did? He healed people. Our our children's story said that he broke five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. He raised people from the dead. 
He showed people the Father. Jesus says you can do the same things and greater. All we have to do is ask it in Jesus' name. What does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? It means to understand what Jesus wants for us. It means to have that relationship with Jesus so that we know if I ask in your name, I'm asking for what you would be asking if you were standing in my place. And so a commandment-keeping people is a people who ask in Jesus' name, and it happens. Is this possible? Did it work? Can it work for us today? In Acts chapter 3, the story is told of Peter and John. They're walking to the temple, and they meet a a beggar there, a lame man. And the beggar says, you know, give me some money. And the children's song says, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then what did the young man do? He went running and jumping and praising God. Peter and John were able to heal a man who'd been lame for 40 years. In fact, it tells us, if you look through all of Acts, Acts tells us that the apostles did miracle after miracle, and one of them that just really surprised me, turn to Acts chapter 5, verse 15, page 881. Acts chapter 5, verse 15. No. Acts chapter 5. 87, sorry. Acts chapter 5, verse 15. Acts chapter 5, verse 15 says, As a result of the apostles' work, six people, sick people were brought into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across them as he went by. The crowds from the villages around Jesus bringing their sick and all who were oppressed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Peter and John and the apostles were doing so many miracles that the sick, if Peter's shadow fell on them, were healed. Jesus tells us in Joel and also in Acts that before he comes back again, our young men are going to see visions and our old men are going to dream dreams and our women and our children that we're going to do miraculous things. In fact, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, turn with me there. It's page 1020, Revelation 19, verse 10. We found out that the commandment-keeping church also has a testimony of Jesus, And what is one of the best testimonies of Jesus? Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. It says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters. This is tells us a little bit more. It says, Who testify about their faith of Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness of God. It tells us that we're going to be witnesses for God, our testimony, and one of the best ways to testify is through prophecy. And it tells us in Joel and in Acts that when Jesus comes back again, that we, his church, are going to be prophesying. We're going to have a testimony of him because when we prophesy and when we show people the prophecies in the Bible and how God has had his hand in history and how he's working, how he cares and how he's active in our life, they can't dispute it. They can't dispute when it comes true. And so one of the clearest pictures of Jesus and of the people that are in God's true church is a people who obey the commands of Jesus and who have a testimony 
They have a testimony, which is prophecy. They have a personal testimony of Jesus. They have seen how he interacts with their lives. Jesus told the disciples, you will do even greater things. And it's for us today, too. God wants to move this world with us, his church, to do greater things. He says, you'll obey the commandments. A commandment-keeping church. That's what he wants. And commandments come back out of love. They come back out of service. Jesus is our ultimate example of what love is. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. In John chapter 14, he tells us he's going to give us something to help us in this process. Because just so you know, I can't do it alone and neither can you. Page 875, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 16. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who, um, who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you now and later will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promises us that, you know what, I've given you a big a big task. This new command I'm giving you to love each other as I have loved you, it's no easy task because all of us struggle with the disease of sin and sin makes us selfish. And it is a complete opposite of love, selfishness. But Jesus says, that's okay, I'm giving you someone to help. The Holy Spirit, he's going to lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the power by which we can do stuff that go beyond our sinful nature. The Holy Spirit drawing in our lives. And so Jesus promises them, but not only that, he promises, I am coming back. I'm going to come back to get you. You're not going to end in this sinful life. He says, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'm building you a home, and I'm going to come back. If I build it home, I'm going to come back and take you to live with me, and it's going to be beautiful. So if you want to be Jesus' church, if you want to be part of his church, he is making you a home. What you've got to do is surrender your life to Jesus and follow his example to keep his commandments in love, to love those around us. Revelation chapter 22 tells us something. Revelation chapter 22, it's page 10, uh, 1022. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says, The Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, and the bride, do you know who the bride in Revelation is? It's God's church. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is saying something, and so is God's church, just before the end. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. This is the final call of Revelation. And it's God's call. He's like, come, come. I want to give you the water of life. I want to give you heaven. I want you to be there with me. But I'm never going to force you. God's true church is a commandment-keeping, loving church that has a testimony of Jesus that goes out and shares with everybody who will listen. The Spirit, God wants you there too. So come. Come.
At the end of each of our lessons, we have a dare, because being a disciple is risky. It's not always easy. And so there are a few dares at the end of your lesson, and I'd like for you just to ask yourself if you can accept these dares. The first dare, it's a, it seems easy, but it's not hard. It is very hard, actually. I dare you to love others as Christ loved you. That means being selfless and a servant. It means sharing with them the good news that you have. I dare you to allow Jesus to do great things in you and through you. He promised that his church, his believers, would do great things. Can you accept that? And I dare you to be Christ's bride waiting for him to come back. God wants you to be his church, and he's got a great wedding feast prepared for you. Don't miss that opportunity. You only have two choices, to be there or to not be there. And God wants you there, and I want you there. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There, you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.